Hello, and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Patricia Holland. Patricia is the founder and president of All Things New, an organization that coaches young people in foster care based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, welcome, Patricia. Thank you so much for participating in our podcast series. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Lynn. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. The first question I usually ask is, how is it that you came to be involved in the foster care system to begin with? I became involved through two different avenues. My mother took in children in our home. She did not go through foster care. I don't think that she knew anything about foster care back then. She Mm. was 76 when she passed. She was 72 when the last child left her home. So I kind of started with that. I then got employment with the criminal justice system while doing my day-to-day job functions. I began to notice that a lot of incarcerated individuals were either in foster care or had been through foster care. And this kind of became an aha moment. And I decided, okay, this is the population that I do want to work with. So I started building, researching and building my nonprofit with those two avenues. Okay. So the question that I just thought of, your juvenile justice background, if I remember correctly, there's somewhere around 70% of individuals in prison have some connection with foster care. I don't know if you know the answer to that, but I think that's what I read somewhere. Yes, not necessarily in prison, but mm-hmm. they do have some type of criminal activities with the uh, false, with uh, criminal justice through foster care. Yeah, I know that the numbers are large, that youth in foster care are highly likely to get involved in the juvenile justice system in some way. Yes, ma'am. That's, yeah. that's true. So with this background with your family growing up. Were there youth in your home while you were growing up or was this after you left home? No, ma'am. It was while I was in the home and after I left home. Okay. So this was just something that she, from her heart, wanted to do was to help young people in your neighborhood, it sounds like. Yes, ma'am. That's what she did. (laughs) Wow. Sounds like you got her heart then. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. I look back now and I think about how did I really start this because it just did not come from my employment. So that's kind of where I have to start with how I got started was through my mother. Yeah. Wow. Well, with this background that you have, I know that you took that, what's on your heart and your experience, and you took that and developed a nonprofit organization. So you could you please explain what that organization is and what is it that you do? All Things New is a nonprofit organization. We assist young adults aging out of foster care and how we assist them, we assist them with life skills, coaching, and advocacy. When we say life skills, I like to kind of clear that up because most people think life skills is, well, not most people, but when we get calls, they get calls about credit cards. How can I get a credit card? How can I get a job? How can I get a car? That's things that we do assist with. But however, you have to start kind of at the bottom. To get a credit card, you have to have a job. To get a job, you have to know how to fill out an application. Mm -hmm. To get a car, you have to know how to maintain a car. 
these are small things. We teach you how to run a washing machine to wash your clothes for that interview. Think just life skills cannot be the big picture. We have to start small to where you can build yourself up. If we don't do that, we're still failing the kids because they want to start at the top. That's not going to build the sustainability that they need. They need to Mm -hmm. start at the bottom to build their stuff up so they can be successful and stay successful and not have to fall back into the system or worse comes to worse into the criminal justice system. Right. So it sounds like I'm kind of taking a leap here. You work with the young people. They say, oh, I want to get a car. Okay, that's great. Now let's think through all of the steps that we need to go through to get that car and let's help you along the way to get there. Is that kind of what it looks like? That is correct. Okay, fantastic. And who helps the young people with this path that we want to help them down? Uh, We have coaches within our organization that we partner the youth with to try to make it a good fit. And we have just the individual partners. And these are volunteers? Yes, ma'am. Now, when you say you do life skills, coaching, and advocacy, I'm gathering this is the coaching part. Yes, ma'am. The coaching is trying to get them to understand, yes, you can get the car, but you need to start here. Mm-hmm. They have to have that understanding that the car is coming, but there's a place that you have to start to get the car. Right. Got it. Got it. Now, let me ask this then. A lot of organizations have mentor programs, and I've talked with a couple of organizations that have coaches. From your perspective, what's the difference between the two, and why did you select the coach approach? We did have mentoring before. Mentoring with the young kids is almost like being in the foster care system. They feel like it's, you're telling me what I need to do. Coaching is letting them have a voice themselves. We kind of meet them where they are and we build a trust and they kind of help us to know what to coach them on. Mentoring is more like, okay, we have this structure platform that you have to go through. This is what we're looking for from you. So it's almost like it's not a give and take. It's almost more than we're, we're just taking, continue taking from them. Okay. And how do you prepare the volunteers to be coaches? Do they have to go through some kind of coaching training so that they understand the approach that you want them to use? Yes, ma'am. They do go through a training, not through the organization. We have certified coaches. Oh, okay. And how are they certified? What organization is certifying them? ICF. ICL. And what does that stand for? ICF. Oh, ICF. Okay. So what does ICF stand for? International Coaching Foundation. Oh, okay. So they train and certify, if you will, these folks to be coaches. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And how long, just because some people might be interested in this, how long a training is it? How involved is it? If they wanted their volunteers to go through it, what would they expect? It's up to two years. We ask them to do a two-year training. Now, ICF may not be two years, but we ask we ask the volunteers to do a two-year training. ICF is most of the time where they're coming from, and we recognize that because that is a very recognizable coaching foundation. Mm. So we ask them to, to do two years. And what's involved in that two years? What's the training look like? 
the training for them would be just learning how to coach. They're mm-hmm. usually they're usually coached themselves to better coach others. So they're practicing. They're practicing what they're learning. Yes. Okay. All right. Fantastic. And let me back up a little bit. The young people that you work with, what are the ages that you work with? We start at 13 mm-hmm. and work up to 22. Most of our website says 17 to 22. But however, we start at 13. That's to start getting to know them. So we build a relationship. So by the time that they are 17, where they're getting closer to age out, we already have built a relationship with them and we're ready to start transition, helping them transition. And in your state, what is the age that young people age out? It is 18. Mm-hmm. However, there is a program, 18 to 21 program, where they can stay in the foster care system until they are age 21. I see. So you help them, let's say, ideally, they're in that extended care program. You help them a little bit beyond that so that you can help them really start their life better. Yes, ma'am. Even mm-hmm. after the age of 21, we do 22. So that gives them, a, even after they have left foster care at the age of 21, it mm-hmm. gives them another year within our program to kind of start really building. Now they really know that they have to sustain themselves because they don't have the foster care system to fall back on. Oh, okay. And the young people you work with, do they have to, as a prerequisite, do they have to be part of the extended care program or can they work with you at age 18 on without being connected to the foster care system anymore? We prefer that they do be connected with the foster care system. They stay in the program. However, we have had a few that are not in the program and it seems to be a little bit more challenging to assist them than if they were to stay in the program. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I agree. And how many um, youth do you serve and how many volunteers do you have? Assuming it's a one-on-one relationship that it would be the same number. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, we have 11 youth that we serve. That is through two different counties in in our location. And we have a total of, of four volunteers. Oh, okay. So the volunteers might have more than one youth that they're working with. Yes, ma'am. Gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. All right. Wonderful. It would be ideal if we had more volunteers to be able to have a youth to be Mm one-on-one. Yeah, that would be the ideal situation. And when did you start your organization? We started in 2012. Okay. Started in 2012. So you've been in existence for about, what, eight, nine years now, which is great. And how do you find the youth that you work with? Do you partner with particular agencies? We find them mostly word of mouth. Uh, we have partnered with two local eight DSS agencies here in, mm-hmm. in our county. So basically right now, that is where we're working with those two agencies. One of the things that I believe is really important is to, for organizations, all organizations, to be able to define success, right? What does success look like for these young people? And then to be able to measure how successful you have been. So my question to you is, how do you find define success in your program for these young people? And then how do you measure or track the youth to be able to determine if they are being successful? The way we 
we track the success is we have a 30-day turnaround. Once they have went through the program, we continue to track them afterwards just to make sure that they are on where they need to be and they are continuing to be sustainability for themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's how we kind of track them. Sorry, what was the first question? Yeah, how do you define success? So what does it mean for the young people going through your program to be successful, you know, based on your mission? We kind of meet them where they are. For them to be successful, we want them to be able to be just have that sustainability to where they can make it on their own. And that is anything from just having the life skills to move forward. Depending on what they need. Yes, ma'am. Because it's so individual. Every young person, I would imagine, would come to you with very different issues, different goals, different paths that they have pictured for themselves. So you really, it sounds like you have to customize your coaching just based on their strengths, their needs, and so forth. Yes, ma'am. We have to because they are different. There's no two that are alike. So mm-hmm. once, once they come in, we do have to meet them where they are. We have to build that trust. And then once we build that trust, we're able to get them to open up and kind of tell us what it is that they're looking for. Some are looking to go to college. Some are not looking to go to college. They may just want to get that job. So we kind of start where they are and try to assist them to get to where they want to go. Absolutely. And do you work with any partners, you know, help the young people gain the skills that they need? Yes, ma'am. We try to partner with different organizations around our, our counties to help where we cannot help. A lot of times, like Dress for Success, we don't have a clothing clothing closets. We don't mm-hmm. do clothing. So we partner with other, other organizations that help with the foster care. There's a foster closet here. We also do partner with them. All right. I know that that is a big thing for organizations that work with this population is partnering with the organizations around your area to be able to kind of fill in the gaps. Like you're saying, what you don't do, there's bound to be some organization out there that can help and working together, you know, really for the benefit of the youth is I think a fantastic thing to do. Yes, ma'am. And one other one we, we don't actually partner with, but I have became a representative for a grand family through Generations United. Generations United is a well-known organization that assists foster care and kinship care. So they are well-known for reaching out and helping others that has um, foster care organizations. Mm-hmm. Okay. I always put the resources that are mentioned in the podcast interviews into the website. So All these things that you've mentioned, like the International Coaching Foundation and Generations United, those links will be on the website as well. Okay. So based on the work that you've done with young people over the years, I know that the individual young person has their own issues, challenges, goals, but what commonalities do you see? What would you say would be, you know, generally speaking about young people coming out of foster care? What would you say would be the greatest needs or challenges? Housing for them yeah. would be the greatest greatest need and the greatest challenge. We do advocate to landlords and realtors for these young people to have affordable housing. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very challenging 
that they come out and they have nowhere to go. Right now, I think it's 25% that is homeless after coming mm-hmm. out of foster care. And that does include couch surfing. A lot of people don't know what the couch surfing is. This is an um, individual who's going from home to home, sleeping on people's couches. That's that's not considered as stable housing. So they are considered as homeless. Right. I've seen that in the research as well. And I think it's 25% of young people aging out of foster care. If I remember correctly, it's like within the first five years experience homelessness. First five years. Yes, ma'am. I think that I think that's it. So, and that's, that's a quarter of the young people. That's a huge number. It's a very huge number. And I just think there, you know, we need to work harder at trying to do something to eliminate the numbers or at least bring them down. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the things that you do? You've mentioned working with the landlord, some advocacy there. What are some of the skills that you provide the young people as far as, you know, getting ready to find their own apartment, for example? We try to do what we call mock living. And what that is, is real life living. We take them out, try to show them houses. Hey, this is something that you can do. So we go through mock living. Hmm. Do you ever take them to like kind of a mock landlord? I don't want to call it an interview because generally they show the apartment and then you can ask the landlord questions, but that would seem like a, a great opportunity too, is to partner with a landlord and they can show the young person kind of what that looks like and what they can expect when they go and look at an apartment. Yes, ma'am. We actually have had one that we took into, spoke with the landlord It was very interesting. This was the first apartment that she had ever obtained, had ever really looked at. She was very excited. She was ready to say yes. But of course, uh, we had to let her know, you don't say yes at the first things you see. You have to (laughs) kind of shop around and see what other options you have. So that's where we go back to the life skills. They want these lavish things. However, they jump on the first thing that they see. So we have to kind of train them or teach them the life skills of, um, yes, this is what you want. But taking the first thing that you see, it may not be the best thing for you. Right. Because you have to, like with an apartment as an example, you have to think of, is it near where you're going to work? Is it close to conveniences and shopping? Do you have the budget to cover the rent as well as the money that you have to put up front, you know, so there are all these considerations that you have to think of, even if it's a cool apartment, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can't just grab it. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Now the coaches that you have are working with these young people. I would guess that before COVID they would be meeting with the young people in person. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. They would. And how about now in our COVID world? Miss Lynn, right now with COVID, we really have not done a lot of continuation with our services because mm-hmm. because of COVID, the clients that we do have through the DSS, we're not able we're not able to get contact them. So with COVID, it has brought a lot of trials and tribulations for the organizations, even though we was we was doing little different things before COVID. And mm-hmm. we have been in operation since 2012, but we have had valleys and mountains throughout 
the eight, nine years. So we've tried different things to continue. Coaching was something that we just started when COVID hit. Oh. So it's right now, it's not feasible because they don't have the laptops. They don't have internet to where we can actually do a coaching. Right. Right. I know some organizations, you know, they have the budget to be able to give those laptops to their youth, but I'm going to guess that's just not something that's as a smaller organization that you'd be able to do. No, ma'am. Not at this time. Yeah. But if you had, let's say I'm hypothetically, if you said you have 11 young people, if somebody were to say, hey, I'd love to donate 11 laptops to you to give to those young people, would that enable you to continue your coaching? I'm not saying that anybody will. <laughs> don't, get me wrong. don't get me wrong. But I'm just hypothetically thinking, is that the primary barrier is the, the laptops? Yes, ma'am. The laptops and then still needing more coaches because of COVID, we have lost volunteers. We're, st- we're yeah. looking for volunteers now. When you're not getting paid for certain things, it's hard mm-hmm. to keep. It's hard to keep people on, but mm-hmm. we do the best we can. I'm always the first up for coaching. So yes, ma'am, if we could get someone to donate those 11 laptops, I would coach every day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, I get that. Well, this would be a good time then to ask. I don't know if any of our listeners would be able to donate even one laptop, but heck, let me put it out there. If anybody wanted to donate either money or something like a laptop, how can they do that to your organization? They can visit our website, which is www.allthingsnewinc.org. Mm-hmm. Oh, there we have donation buttons. They can mail us donation through P.O. Box 40694, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27629. And we do cash out also. Okay. Great. So that's out there for anybody who's listening who might be willing to help. <laughs> It sounds like, you know, every bit counts, but if you had, even if it were an existing laptop, somebody that's out there, oh, I'm getting a new laptop and you have one that works, I would imagine even that would be appreciated if you could send the used one. Yes, ma'am. Anything is a help to a nonprofit. All right. Great. Well, I'm glad we had a chance to put that out there then into into the digital world and we'll see. (laughs) We'll see what happens. (laughs) Well, then let me ask you this, because I do like to ask, oh, well, wait, before I do that, let me ask you about your advocacy, because you said that was a third thing that you focus on. So help me understand how it is that you advocate. We advocate for them for the house and peace. That's the most important thing that they're, ah. they're like. And so we do talk to landlords. We talk to realtors. We talk to private landlords to see if they would be interested in partnering with us to rent these young people housing. Mm-hmm. But that's our advocacy for them through is through house with the housing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Wonderful. Well, from your perspective, what do you think that the system can do or the government, whoever, how do you think the foster care system can be improved to better help young people in foster care that have to face aging out into adulthood on their own. Do you see any particular opportunities that could be taken to improve outcomes? Yes, ma'am. But the government, I just think that, you know, we they really need to come up with an emergency plan for foster youth. And I think of that because of COVID. You know, when COVID struck, these 
universities, colleges were closed down. And there were some kids that have went through foster care who made it to college. And when this happened, they had no place to go. So this was something that nobody foreseen happening. But however, it did happen. So now let's come up with a plan, emergency plan for these foster youths to have some type of housing situation. Like we said, 25 percent face homelessness you know, no family. So where did they go? Where were they able to go when school closed? They had to move off campus. So I really believe that, you know, something should happen through government on that level. Now with the agencies, I would say share information, share information with the foster individual, be honest with them, share information with the foster families who are caring for them, so they can get the help that they need while they're in the care of foster parents. Mm-hmm. Consider partnerships with other entities such as us, such as All Things New, to ease the social workers' caseloads. Mm-hmm. Smaller entities can offer a more personalized one-on-one that could really improve more successful outcomes with these individuals. I believe that you know social services. The caseloads are very high and there's very few social workers. And I do believe that partnership with other entities, that would help. I believe that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had conversations in other podcasts about that very same thing, is to try to make it a little more systematic, more formalized to connect agencies with organizations like yours to extend, like you're saying, the support that a social worker can give. Right. I believe that would drive up the success rate. And when you say share information, what kind of information is not getting shared that you think they should be, you know, more forthright about? I can only go by what I have some of the clients saying. Information such as for the foster families themselves, they need to know exactly what they're getting into. The child's background, they need to know if the child needs any counseling, severe counseling, crisis counseling, Do what is it that this child needs that would help them to mm-hmm. become successful or either become a stable child while you're, they're in that home, that foster home? Yeah. Uh, sometimes I have, have known that children are placed in foster families and the foster family gets the child with nothing. They get the child... Only thing they know about the child is the child's name. Mm-hmm. I think more information needs to be shared with that foster family so they can make a educated decision of, hey, is this something that I can really handle? You right. some, some get a foster child in their home and it's something that they didn't, didn't really didn't sign up for or didn't foresee that this would be something that would actually come into their home. Right. Why do you think it's not shared? Is it because of privacy issues or is it really a system problem that that kind of record isn't centralized and easily accessible and maintained? Well, Lynn, I'm really not sure. I do believe it may be um, it may be the system because I'm pretty sure if they take a child out of the home, they have majority of the information that they could share with a foster parent to have that foster parent to make an educated decision if that's what they want to go Mm -hmm. through. I just don't see 
them taking a child out of the home and they really don't have any information, even why the child was taken at home. I think that's something that should be shared with a foster parent. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're worried if they share everything, they would say, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, I, to be honest, right? Because if a young person has a lot of challenges, foster parents might say, eh, we want an easier kid. And most of the time that is what happens, I would believe, because most of the time foster parents are looking for the babies. But now, nowadays the babies are not, not the easy ones. So what you want to take a baby over and a teenager I don't know. I just don't know why the information is not shared. Yeah. You know, it does happen. And it could be because they feel that they may say no. But if they don't say no, this may not be for them anyway. Right. I know I've heard about, of course, foster parents who are trained to work with, say, young people with certain disabilities or you know, issues like that, or maybe physical issues. I would imagine that you could train some foster youth to work with the more challenging young people as far as behavior or, you know, the ones that really need counseling, mental health support, Um, that you could train foster parents to work with that population specifically so that you would have people who would take these young people. And of course, I'm not saying all young people have those issues, but I'm just thinking about the ones who do. Yes, ma'am. And there are classes for that. There are specific classes that foster families do sign up for, for Mm -hmm. children that have challenges. So there are classes for that. However, again, you sign up for the class, you know what to expect, but what is the extent of that? That's things that need to be shared. Yes, Mm -hmm. this child has a disability, but what is the extent to that disability? I know there's something wrong, but what is the extent to that? That needs to be shared. You do not want to put a child in a home where Total information is not shared, especially for challenging children, because, you know, just now recently, children are dying in foster care. Mm-hmm. We do not want that to happen. So share the information of what you are putting in the foster parents' homes mm-hmm. so that they would be well-educated of what they're getting into and to make that educated decision hey, I don't think I can handle that. But, and even on the, you know, I'm not trying to say that DSS is a bad organization, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they do share the information and some foster parents say, okay, that's, they can handle it. They bring it in, bring the child in. If it's too much for them, just pick up the phone and call DSS. Hey, this is too much for me. Can you, can you come and pick the child up? That too, Mm -hmm. you know, that too can be done. Let's try to do something to make it easy for everyone. That's, mm-hmm. The children are already going through trauma. They've been taken out of their home. They've been taken out of what they know. It may be a well-dysfunctional home. However, mm-hmm. that's what they're used to. That's what they know. So now you put them somewhere where they, they're they just fish out of water. They don't understand. They don't know. So they are going to rebel. Yeah, I just think in this digital world... You would think there could be a solution here that you could have uh, like a case summary, just a high level summary of the things this young person has gone through and, you know, what they need that could be sent and given access. You know, the foster parents could be given access to it. I just think there would have to be some way to do that. It's just, you know, one more form a social worker would have to keep up and it's, it's, I'm sure they're overwhelmed as it is. Yes, ma'am. That's why I think 
partnerships would benefit um, social workers a great deal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that we're getting close to our time here. So I do want to ask you this question. What is it that you love the most about your organization? Oh, wow. (laughs) I love that we are able to do something to make a difference in a young person's life. I do work with the criminal justice system. I do see a lot of young people entering the criminal justice system. Uh It's so much potential that's wasted. So if we can, if we can change, we can't change everybody, but if we can put one person on the right track or either get them to see who they are, God made everyone for a purpose. If we could just get that person to see what their purpose is, mm-hmm. how to stay on the track, stay focused, and move forward to be all that they can be. We're called all things new for a new outlook. And that's what we want to show them. There's things can look different, a new outlook for their lives and move on forward. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And I tell you what, one of the things I really like about what you do is you start working with these young people as young as possible. I think you said 13, as young as 13, because I think when you can start working with young people at that age, helping them build resiliency, helping them build that hopeful outlook is easier than if you start working with them later in, in their life. So I think that's fantastic. Well, Patricia, thank you so much for joining our podcast series today. I've really enjoyed learning about your organization. I hope somebody out there can send you some laptops so that you can pick up the work. Again, I know COVID has thrown a monkey wrench in so many programs, and I just wish you all the best moving forward that you can you can get back to coaching and helping these young people full force. Thank you so much, Leanne. Uh, you're very welcome. Well, for those who have listened to the podcast to the very end, thank you so much. As you know, we put out podcasts every couple of weeks or so. So look for another one on our website in a couple of weeks, or we're also on most of those podcast distribution sites. So look for us there as well. Thanks for listening.